How to Be an Artist. Step two, it takes three generations to make an artist. With guest, Dustin Hansen. So how's it been going, man? Oh boy, good. Busy, crazy, but good. Yeah, a lot of fun yeah. stuff happening right now. Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting. Um, a lot more uh, than I've experienced with previous pro- publication things. Okay. So there's been a lot of noise, and that's been nice. You know, we had, of course, some fun and interesting tour stuff can't uh, booked and canceled because. Oh of yeah, that's got to be bummer. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the article in the trip though. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was nice. I was surprised. I didn't expect it to be, you know, to kind of get that kind of traction, to be honest. So it was it was really nice to see them pick it up, and they did a nice job. So is that share something... the cover with one of my heroes, so that was fun. Oh, that's cool. Wait, you mean uh, with your son? <laughs> Mark Eaton. Oh, with no, Mark Eaton? Well, okay. Yeah, it was so funny. Uh, yeah, to see him on the cover with me, it was like, oh, wow. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I didn't see the print edition, so I didn't get the context with you and, and Mark Eaton. Oh, but... oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of funny. That's definitely something for, you know, Utah people will appreciate, you know, yeah. an OG, yeah. OG jazz player. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's rad. So this has been pretty, a, a lot of like stuff going on for promotion and stuff for the book. Yeah. It's been really nice. You know, like I said, I've, I've, done other books and the promotion has been 100 percent left up to me you know it's interesting just every every publisher is different um but dc has been super aggressive and they're just wow. so fun to work with and you know it's been it's been really fun to kind of you know get the word out a little bit and that's that's we'll very see. different yeah i've definitely same my same experience a lot of other excuse me publishers they you know they may give you like a lot of resources and like oh here's like a mailing list and stuff but um like so did they actually did you reach out to do the 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 trip thing or was that like dc's end they reached out for that one really yeah matter of fact i i reached out you know i had been working with another publisher previous and literally had to do everything like i mean i'm not kidding no i know not even not even not even a mailing list oh really Jeez. Yeah, matter of fact, even the first time when I sent out stuff to my previous publisher, I was like, you know, I think I could get into these few places. And they're like, ah, yeah, you can try, but some of them might require a budget. And we just, you know, we're not going to back that. So it would be up to you. And, you was, know, I mean, they was were this like with Game anti. On? Yeah. Okay. Jeez. So there, there was just nothing there. Um, and the book's done okay. So mm-hmm. I, I guess in there. <laughs> point of view it's fine the right? calculations like, it, it works so <laughs> yeah yeah and I, you know i get all conspiracy theory on that which we can get into that might be kind of interesting but um, <laughs> <laughs> on why it did but, well or like what their whole no, I mean, point like, was like well kind of you know how how publishers traditional publishers approach a product based on how much they've invested in it and you know especially if they're publicly traded and you know wanting to make sure that they hit an expectation oh. and don't exceed it too much versus don't go too under, you know, and, and I'm sure for a book like mine, like my, my books don't matter in the grand scheme of things, especially for a big publisher like that. But uh-huh. I, I can see that being a reality. Um, so it gets, you know, frustrating. So the idea is what's the idea? The idea is that they, they just, they can't spend a certain amount um, just for, for the, like, what's the, what's the conspiracy angle as far as, it, you know, it, it probably comes from working at games for so long, right? And, and talking <laughs> yeah. to finance people and, and, yeah. and having things like, uh, well, well, you know, if you come out and you say, okay, let's say, let's say you're an investor. Let's say you buy stock in Activision, right? Yeah. And, and they have a new game coming out and you go to their quarterly report and they say, hey, we think this game is going to earn $10 million in the first quarter. Um, and so you're like, great, you know, here's my 100 bucks, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, thinking – Cool, and that earns ten million. Their stock price is going to go up by a point, and I'm going to get 110 back on my hundred. Yeah, you know, all that sounds great, and, and from an investment standpoint, that's what you want, or that's, at least that's what most people want, right? Yeah. They want that predictable thing. But if it comes out and it does poorly, well, that sucks, right? But that's kind of the price you pay. But if it comes out instead of making ten million, it makes fifty million or a hundred million. Then you look at it as a lost opportunity cost, where, where you say like, well, shoot, if I don't know it was going to do that good, I might have invested a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. Yeah. So, you know, there there is some advantage for being predictable. Yeah, exactly. You know? That makes sense. You don't want to have regret on either side of things. If you can kind of know yeah. exactly what something's going to do, you're it's it's a little bit safer. 
you know. Yeah. So. And I know that's I know, like I said, that is so conspiracy theory. I, I, I don't <laughs> think that's truth. I, I can't imagine a publisher ever saying we don't want this to exceed its potential. Uh huh. But, you know, it's hard not to kind of start seeing those things when you, you well, just feel like it could do better than it is. You know, people like to have a certain amount of stability, you know. And you want to be able to predict things. I mean, it's like I said, yeah, you want to be able to, be able to make some predictions and for have your predictions to actually, you know, follow how you want them to go. Um, yeah. So um, I think that's that's interesting, though. Just uh, I don't think that's too uncommon for, you know, artists to kind of be looking at this whole black magic of, of finance and marketing and just like trying to figure out how that interfaces with what they're trying to do, you know. Because as an right. artist, you know, we're always like, "What? How can I make the best thing? I want to make like you're kind of you're kind of solving two different problems, you know." Um, yeah. And I think I that's something I've really struggled with. I really for many many years I was just grumpy about that, you know, because I was just like, "I want to make art and have this this other entity that wants something completely different." And it's very easy to get very bitter, you know, working working in a studio. Um, but I, it seems like at least observing you, it seems like that's something you've been able to manage uh, pretty well. But I don't know. Is that is that something is that a tension you felt or, or how do you, you think about that? Oh, I absolutely feel it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's kind of the main reason I got out of doing uh, full time game development. Yeah. You know, I felt like such a tiny piece and a big cog. And, you know, I. Ah, it's that's a tough one because you know I really do want to do the best creative output that I possibly can. Yeah, and I think in general most employees do. Yeah, you know everybody does. You know, but I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough one. And there's uh, definitely a way where those two things line up. Like in an ideal yeah. world, you make great art and great art sells. You know, but there's there's a lot right. of lot of decisions kind of made you know, on the deck that are just kind of like, wow, what's like, what's going on here? And we saw a lot of stuff, you know, the type of things where you see, see the investment that's put into a studio. I think a lot about like when we were both at, at EA, when EA was still very much, um, still carrying a lot of the culture of Headgate. Now it's, that's kind of when yeah. I first started at EA. And, and just for those that don't know, Headgate was a, a studio that was bought out by EA and became EA Salt Lake and, and Dustin and I both both worked there and that's when I started at 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 EA and I really loved the culture at that time you know but you could just yeah, over too. the years you kind of watch that kind of deteriorated and you see you see these these teams and individuals where so much had been invested in them and people really um, had great relationships but suddenly kind of not seeing the value of those relationships and and people kind of being treated as as items in a spreadsheet you know, um, you see like some layoffs that just like really bogged your mind and things like that. Um, but you know, again, it's like, it's from a different vantage point. You know, I'm, I'm looking from this vantage point as an artist. And then you have these other people that are like, how do we keep this business open? And that is like paying people's salaries, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of competing objectives there no doubt yeah yeah I, I know i mean we're talking about finance here which is kind of a weird thing i didn't think we'd talk about that but. <laughs> <laughs> but but on that same topic there is something there you know and and i've thought about this a lot matter of fact i was having this conversation with my son last night uh -huh. about about the definition of art is too broad for anyone to say is art a good endeavor mm -hmm. right it's like you know we, we consider anything art um which is kind of an interesting thing and i think the term art itself has just been kind of populated into any type of creative output oh, sure. um, because I was talking and the point I made about finances, I was talking to a finance guy at EA. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even remember his name um, or I would probably say it because we're so far removed from EA. It wouldn't matter anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was talking to him. I do know the projects that we're on because the project I was on was being canned um, and another project wasn't. And, and I was, I felt like I, owed my owed it to myself and to the project to kind of be a champion and try to fight sure. for it and try to see if it could save and this so I, I got this wasn't uh wildlife was that the this was yeah it was wildlife and gardens both and gardens. at the same oh, time yeah. were being canceled and that, that's that, it, by the way those are great examples especially wildlife a great example of that the 
exactly the type of disappointment that can happen where you see a project that is just like so well conceived and elegant. And it's just like, you you knew, you knew once that went out into the market that people were going to like, you sometimes just get a feel about a project, right. That it's going to connect. Yeah. And it was one of those projects. Um, and yeah, it was just unfortunate that it just didn't meet kind of the market needs of that time anyway but i interrupted you yeah but but the interesting thing is the market needs things exactly what this came up to where you know i spent time and i I argued with him and said i just don't i don't get it because when i'm doing uh you know i i I can do the math you know i can look at the size of the market i've done all this analysis too you know i've read everybody's analysis this project looks like it's viable and he said well that's the exact problem he said because accounting is mathematics Mm -hmm. and what we're talking about is finance and finance is art Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. So he said, you know, I'll, I'll be really blunt. I can make your project look great because I'm an artist, mm-hmm. you know, and he said, or I can make other projects that have uh, more need within the studio look great because I'm yeah. an artist. So it was interesting to hear, you know, this, you know, he's a great finance guy to sure. say, to consider himself an artist and the way that he presents those projects to fill the needs of the studio. <laughs> no, that's, that's very, I, you know, I actually, I can see uh, that point of view is from finance. So like yeah. one of my little side interests has been like um, development. Um, like I'd love to be able to do some sort of like neighborhood, neighborhood scaled development in my neighborhood. And it's, it's tough because I need the time to be able to do it and you're trying to find the right property and whatever, but I've definitely like done my, my research on it. And it's interesting. Um, Finance is a big part of it. So like one of the things you do is you have to put together like a pro forma, which is a a document that basically shows like how the finances are going to shake out to say like, hey, here's how much it's going to cost. Here's here's the revenue you're going to bring in. Right. Um, Right. And one of the real interesting things, I went to a workshop um, with this guy kind of talking about the pro forma and he's like pro forma. The here's the thing about a pro forma. Pro forma is Latin for making shit up. You know, and once <laughs> right. you once you play around with it enough, you're just like, I can understand that idea that, yeah, there's there's an art to it. You're kind of bullshitting. Like there's right. a lot of there's a lot of our financial market that is about like projections, like, oh, we're going to use this data from the past to project what's going to happen. Nobody knows. No one knows any of this stuff. And we try to and that that's created in finance of like, oh, here's this thing we can kind of count on or here's this like stability. But there's there's a lot of making shit up. But. I mean, that's, we, that's, we, that's what we do as artists. So like, I can't, I can't no, like no complain doubt too much about, about, about finance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but it is part of like what we do as artists too, right? Cause that's where our livelihood comes. And one of the things that's always been interesting to me, and, and I think mm-hmm. you and I've actually talked about this at one point about comp culture, where when it comes to people kind of getting behind projects or getting behind sure. anything, it, it only works well if somebody's done it already. Um, so like for my current one, um, <laughs> the, the comp that people keep saying yeah. is, is kind of ridiculous because it, it's really not a great match, but it's easy for someone to look at it and go, Oh, this is like ready player one meets the Goonies. Yeah. I saw that. Someone, someone posted that. Yeah. On, on it was like, nice. I was like, <laughs> Oh, that's really cool. And, and that's actually something we've kind of been talking about internally too. And because it's a, yeah. it's an easy one to, to do when people look at that mm-hmm. and there's two good comps there, one is a financially good comp and the other is like a, a spiritually good comp. Right. And, and I can see the similarities. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I don't feel like that's the right way to present a project. Um, and it's too bad. And, you know, it's funny because I, I, I get all, I get kind of actually really worked up about this one because I do want art to just be validated on the content of art, period. Yeah. You know, regardless of comps, like the next project I'm doing with DC, I'm begging them to not put my name on the front cover. Really? Yeah. Um, why, why is that? Well, I, I don't think it helps. I know in my case, it huh. doesn't help. Right. Like my name doesn't sell books. Right. And I, I think at some point it might hurt. Um, what about fame? Dustin? Yeah. Yeah. You need fame. <laughs> well, that's the real truth is like, I, I literally honestly don't want it. And, yeah. You know, I would love it if someone would look at it and go, Oh, this looks interesting. And then they look in the inside and they finish the whole book. You know, if, if they want to find out who wrote it, you know, they could do some research and dig in. But I kind of think mm-hmm. that that's, 
kind of the least important part of the whole project. And because I think your name gets comped too. Sure. You know, my, my name gets comped with previous titles that I've done and some of them have been great. Some of them not so great. Um, you know. Yeah. And that gets into the whole problem of like, this is something that's a constant like tension for me too, is just creating a brand for yourself, right. which, which was such like a point of gospel <laughs> when I was kind of entering into like self-publishing that like, you're a brand, your name's a brand, you're a company, you got to treat yourself as a, as a company, you're an employee in your own company. Right. You know, all these ways of thinking about art that just are kind of like, you know, I'm a person that wants to, to, it kind of ruins art and it ruins like who you are as, as a creator, you know, you can't, can't just be a person that you have to have a certain way you present yourself in public and you have to kind of, uh, hide the rest for, you know, the rest of your life has to be kind of like a secret or, and you know, there's something to be said for privacy and whatnot, but also just the, the hustle of like trying to, I don't know, for me, I was very, very much tied into like, I have to always be putting work up onto social media and, and whatever. And that can be, be pretty exhausting, you know? Yeah, it is. Um, definitely. So my question then would be, um, you talk about like, uh, comps and, and like, yeah, comparing to previous work, comparing to other things, which is clearly it's about marketing. It's a way for people to have a, a quick entry point where they're like, okay, I, I, this, this is something where I think I'm familiar with. I can, I can get into this, you know? Cause obviously you can have a great piece of art and everyone has had that experience where someone's like, you got to see this thing. I don't know how to describe this thing, but it's, it's kind of, and people are trying to describe it and it sounds weird what they're describing, but they're so enthusiastic. You're like, okay, I'll go check that out. Yeah. And then you see it and you're like, wow, I've never seen anything like that. You know? And then you do <laughs> right. the same thing. You can't describe it either, which I mean, a great piece of art is fantastic and inspiring enthusiasm is, is fantastic, but there's definitely a big, hump to get over it's like you got to get over that like marketing hump of like how do you communicate that so i don't know if you feel like there's a better alternative to the comp i mean you kind of suggested you you feel there's a better way to to do things than through through the comp yeah i don't know it's an interesting thing because i don't i actually don't think there is i think that's the frustrating thing that i the okay. problem i have with it. <laughs> well well here's a good example like i you know, in, in the writing world, not just in the in the comic, you know, art drawing world, query letters are a big yeah. thing, right? So sure. when you when you finish a finish a novel and you're ready to find an agent to help you out or to, to go directly to a publisher, you write a, a one page letter that kind of tells everyone what the book is and you know maybe a paragraph on who you are and why you're the right person to write mm-hmm. the book. That's basically what a query letter is. Well, I, I've often thought that the query letter process is kind of silly. Um, because that mm-hmm. query letter process doesn't ever go to the end user, you know, the final yeah. person that reads your book. And that's, you know, that whole chain of agent, editor, publisher, salesperson, <laughs> you know, that, that sells within yeah. the publisher to the bookstore, you know, whatever. Like the most important person in that entire process might be the writer and the bookseller. Um, sure. And so if they're not speaking yeah. the same language, you know, things can go pretty bad. Um, so. So I've often thought, like, if I could send a query letter that was as small as, you know, Ready Player One meets Goonies um, mm-hmm. and and say, that's the only message I want to push out. You know, if I'm putting on my marketing mm-hmm. hat, I would want to do that, you know, to have something that consistent all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it, it is one of those things where, you know, those things do get they do get parroted. And that's a in the end, I guess that's a positive thing. Um, when it comes to book sales, um, or, you know, any, any, any type of sale. Well, the truth is almost any, any work you do, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be built off of, it's going to be derivative of something. Oh yeah. And so in some, in some (laughs) ways there's, there's a certain amount of honesty in that. In some ways it's just a way of signaling, like, here's the stuff I'm into, you know, here's the stuff I'm into that ended up making this, this thing. So, you know, if you kind of like the same stuff, um, Maybe you'll be interested, you know, unfortunately I, I chose for, for, for my last book, um, you know, I chose to reference obscure Russian, um, right. Cinema. So that's a little, a little bit smaller <laughs> segment, right? Right. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, but you know, it's, it's kind of like star Wars. Cause there's this, like, it's like this monk with this, with the magic sword. So, you know, this right. is star Wars. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I wish there was a better way to get out that, 
you know, ultra creative, completely unique stuff. Um, like, I mean, I just watched, I've been watching uh, Midnight Gospel, the new Netflix. Oh, I, I just watched the first episode of that. We just got into a few yeah. minutes of the first episode. Well, the thing, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? It's got the right creators behind it. So yeah. some of that stuff where we talk about like building a platform or building, you know, you know, building your brand is an important part of why that kind of show gets an opportunity. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's definitely got that going for it, but it's unbelievably unique and bizarre. And okay. I, does it work? I was like wondering, I'm like, does this thing work? I, you know? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, visually it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's just super unique and creative. And, and I think my guess is that the main character Clancy is going to be, the next Finn and Jake, you know, it falls right in line with what he's oh, done really? in the past. And, and then Duncan Trussell, the, the, the creator. Um, yeah. I saw that they're kind of the co-creators are Duncan Trussell and, uh, who's the adventure time. Um, my guy. brain has turned off, but yes. Can you believe it's, the, I know. The one I can't it's, believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, now I'm going to have to talk. Anyway, there, well, there's another creator that's involved with you, it. That's that I've, I've followed for years too. It's a guy, a guy named Phil Henry. Oh, okay. Oh, Pendleton Ward. That's that's his name. Okay. Yeah. Um, Pendleton Ward. Yep. Yeah. Phil well, Henry. Phil Henry heard used to, This is bizarre, but he used to have an old radio show. Um, they actually had it on in Utah. Uh-huh. On. Yeah. Oh, Phil Henry. I know Phil Henry. That's that's I recognize it now. It's spelled like H E N D R I E. Yeah. So he's one of the creators of the project too. Weird. Oh, I didn't realize that. And he's got like his whole shtick was that he would be his own yes. callers into the show. And so he'd like speak and then turn on a filter and, and be a caller. Completely ridiculous and then premise. switch back and forth. You know, every show. And yeah. and then he would, and even before every time he'd start a segment, he'd say stuff like, guys, like this is me. I'm faking this whole thing. The whole thing is a joke, but I can keep saying that because <laughs> there are idiots all over the planet that will call in and people would call in. Like, Okay, I didn't realize that. That makes yeah. it even more interesting to me. So I'll have to, yeah, it's, I'll have to check it out. He's also the also the voice of, of Principal Vagina in Rick and Morty. Oh, I did so. not know that. Oh, how funny. <laughs> not surprised, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm hoping places like Netflix will become kind of a, a safe haven for some of those more bizarre and unique, especially on the animation side, you know, to see oh, yeah. some of those things pop out. It's it's such an interesting like like vehicle and format because I feel like at the at the same point I feel like sometimes like Netflix is going the way of TLC <laughs> where they're just like starting to create this really trashy stuff but then there's still like this really inventive edgy stuff that they're they're doing too right so I don't know it's a weird beast like I'm very curious to see how that evolves over time yeah me too yeah yeah. So I'll have to check it out. I mean, I have to, I've, you, I mean, you know how things are. It's, it's a little bit different cause you got older kids. Mine are more youngins now. Yeah. So finding the time when I can break away and, and watch something that I, I don't want them to be, be watching. Is, oh yeah. Especially, is a little bit yeah, trickier. especially something like that where, you know, visually and you know, they might be attracted to it and yeah. content wise. Yeah. Uh, no, it. it's not for, <laughs> not for the meek. Not for kids. Yeah. I started watching it and, and then like my daughter was like, dad, what's this? What are you watching? And I'm like, oh, okay, I, I got to shut this off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, let's do, have you heard of, of psychedelics? Because we can start that. Conversation. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about that. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting. Um, yeah. I think the first, I just watched the first couple of minutes of the first episode where they're just, it was like the president in like zombie. Yeah. Zombie land talking about, pot and opioids and now and that's as far as yeah and did you know it's it's actually his podcast it's actually duncan trestle's podcast i was wondering i was wondering if they're taking clips straight out of his podcast so every time before it starts it's got that main character clancy kind of like goes on this uh virtual reality trip like where do you want to go next Mm -hmm. and it pulls up one of the podcasts from from his show so it's it's all pre-recorded stuff so that was with uh dr drew gooden is the guy who's the president in that one? Oh, okay. So you can go and like, and that's like some real guy. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he's like a, he's he's kind of a radio host, doctor guy. He did the big Adam Carolla 
show for years. Oh, that's right. I remember who that dude yeah. is. Okay. And he, he's, he's, right, he's a great sense. radio voice. He's, you know, super smart and it's interesting, but yeah. you know, <laughs> it was bizarre to sit there and, you know, see the president of the United States shooting zombies while he's talking about the, <laughs> the positive and negative sides of legalized marijuana and you know, legalized <laughs> yeah. marijuana. Like, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's very interesting. My, uh, you know, my dad is a, you know, conservative, very Mormon guy. Just got back from from uh, a mission as a mission president. Wow. You know, where he where he's best basically. You know, for those that aren't aware, the mission president is kind of like you're the the leader for a bunch of twenty something kids who are Mormon missionaries. But it was interesting, like asking him about the whole like marijuana thing, and he had just he had a very nuanced viewpoint. Hmm. And he's part of it is is you know he was a doctor, and so I was like, yeah, I've seen some of the research, and you know. Maybe this and maybe this, but he, it was, I was, it was pretty interesting how, how balanced he was. He's like, yeah, it's been shown to have some analgesic effects and, and, you know, these cases. Um, but so he, he was the Dr. Drew. In that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is <laughs> pretty. make a lot of the same points. Yeah. That is pretty yeah. interesting. So I'm kind of, uh, curious. We, we were talking a little bit about like finances and, uh, you know, how that affects being, being an artist. And it's kind of this unavoidable part of it, which yeah. is kind of frustrating as an artist, because in some ways you don't want to have to have to think about that. Right. You just want to like focus on, on doing your thing, but it's, it's, it's an inevitable part of it. You have to like address it at some point. Like you have to figure out how to eat, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, but I think it's particularly challenging, uh, you know, in the case of, of having a family and being a father and being like, okay, I, I need to like provide, provide for my family. Um, so I'm really curious about how you've, you've tried to strike that balance, whether, um, it's trying to find, find some sort of harmony between making art or finding space for art. And you've been doing that for a long time. So, um, I'd be interested in kind of your, maybe your process, like where you are now and maybe how you got there as far as, as paying the bills and, and making art. Yeah, man, that's a great question. I, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because so another part of that, if to put that in perspective, is two of my children are going to be making a living in the arts. I mean, that's there's, oh, there's yeah, no doubt about that's it. That's right, and you actually work with your kids, yeah, well, too. So that's a whole other level. Yeah, my older son Tanner, I I don't know where he'll end up exactly i'm sure he'll end up somewhere in the viz dev side of things he's he's a brilliant artist and he's struggling with that uh davis who helped me with the colors on this current book and my next one does it more like a hobby uh, he, he's i think he's got the most healthy approach if i'm being really honest hmm. where he's like yeah you know i really like doing the coloring that's as far as i want to take it <laughs> yeah you know, it's a job but my daughter is you know she wants to be an actress and you know she's got her first professional job this year that's been canceled because of covid and you know, it's like tough, right? All those things can just completely change you know, in a moment. And well, the the fact that that you have not, they have grown up with you being an artist, and it hasn't scared them from off from being an art from making art is is like interesting. First of all, so yeah, you, you know, uh, <laughs> you, you know, Yo Yo Ma, right, the cello player. Yeah. So his yeah his uh, autobiography is fascinating. It's really really good. You hmm. know, I highly suggest it. Um, one of the things that of all the sticking points, and I probably read it 20 years ago. It's been out for a long time. It's not a new book. One of the things that always stuck with me was they have this this concept in Chinese culture for arts where it says it takes three mm-hmm. generations to make an artist. Wow. And so his, his example of that is he's the artist for his family. He's the representative artist for his family. So his grandfather was a cello and violin maker. His hmm. dad was a music teacher, uh, an educator. And it took the support of those two people to be able to fund and understand the business well enough to turn Yo-Yo Ma into a professional. Um, oh, cool. It's a really interesting concept. And, and so some of that, I think, like I look at it, like my dad was a, a violinist and a, an educator. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've made my living as an artist one way or another. <laughs> we can, yeah, we'll get back yeah. to that original question. It's like, how is, is always a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's been interesting to me to see my oldest son in particular take a very metered approach to being a professional artist. And, and some of that huh. is from watching me struggle and 
I've yeah. been super open with him about financially, you know, how those things happen and, you know, when they're good and when they're bad and how the importance of trying to pack a few dollars away and sure. how impossible that can be and, mm-hmm. and, you know, all those kinds of things. So I think he's taking a much more, uh, his approach to getting involved in a family situation, you know, with, you know, finding someone to be responsible to. Probably, has been probably much more cautious about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's like, you know, so it's, it's interesting. I think, I think things definitely change. And, you know, I, I know when I started off, my initial mm-hmm. goal was to do exactly what I'm doing now at the yeah. age of 50, which oh, cool. is to illustrate books. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it only took yeah. me 30 years to get to a point where I'm doing it. <laughs> and, you know, your life can be packed with regrets, you know, or you can just, you know, for me, I yeah. don't, I don't regret what I've done. Um, you know, jumping into the games industry, it, it was good for me for financially for a long time. And I've met amazing people and, you know, all the, you know, there's so many benefits to doing that. Um, I think it helped me become a better storyteller. Yeah. It helped me try to understand things like finance and, you know, some of those things that I might not have understood if I just jumped right into the Yeah. The however, industry. however, like bitter I am um, about like, but, however bitter I was about working in video games, which like while I was in video games, I was just so grumpy the whole time. Like it's yeah. in a lot of ways when I was working for a living, that was really <laughs> my schooling, you know? Um, I just, I mean, I learned, I learned so much. Oh, you me know, too. At the, at the two studios I worked at, or actually, you know, there's three, there's three studios that I really worked at. Um, so there's really that, that kind of being, being paid to be an artist. I think that's one of the real benefits is, is, is there's some really amazing opportunities for like growth, for meeting other people, you know, if, if, if at some point, and ho- the hope is I, I think for most people that have that right. plan is that that helps to build some sort of foundation or, or space that, that then you can go do your own art at some point. So, but it's, but everyone's path is different. That's why I kind of like ask you about yours because it's like, people are like, Oh, how should I, what should I do to become an artist? And it's like, dude, just however, whatever way you can figure out, that's the way you become an artist, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it comes kind of back to that same term of, of what is art, you know, yeah. <laughs> like that, that whole thing. It's like, I'll, I'll put this, here's an interesting thing. And you know this, cause you worked with me during this time, yeah. but there was, a 10 year period where I didn't draw a single thing. Hmm. So if there's anything I regret, it's that. Sure. Where, you know, for me financially to be able to support so that my wife could go back to school and take care of the kids full time and not have to have a job. It meant I had to stop doing art and move into more of a management position. um, Yeah. Where I was profoundly unhappy. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, I hated it. You know, know... I, I just, I was never happy doing that. Hmm. Now that makes sense to me. I mean, you still were a uh, creative director for a lot of that time, but you yeah. feel like even as creative director, it was still too far abstracted from, from the making of art. Yeah. I mean, I, I would go home every day and make my own art because mm-hmm. I wasn't getting fulfilled in, in my career. Yeah. And, and even though I still do some of that today, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll work on my, my book full time and I do some consulting with a couple of groups and, and do those kinds of things. And after I'm done with my day, I'll go home and I'll, you know, I work from home, but you know, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll return to my office <laughs> and I'll do, I'll do my own creative weird stuff that I just want to experiment with, but that's different. Right. I, I felt like yeah. I wasn't getting anything. Sure. Know, I wasn't hitting that process of creating. Um, so I missed that. You know, I was, yeah. I was jealous of guys like you and Gibbs that got to draw during the day. Sure. Um, which, yeah. which is ironic because I, I felt like I was in the position again, Mr. Bad Attitude. Um, it was like, I was, <laughs> I was doing that work and then at, at home I would go at home at night and I'd want to do my own work, but just feel like, you know, exhausted because you were done. Yeah. You're done because you're, you've tapped those resources so much and really to do well, like within games as an artist, like it's something you kind of need to take with you. So it was the type of thing where you take problems home with you and you're thinking about it and you're like researching it and, and it just, you want to do something that's, that's better and inventive and interesting. And so, um, it's, it's hard. You really can get yourself in this, in this, in this rut that can be hard to get out of, you know, and be like, Oh wait, I got to step away from this rut and now like figure out a different problem, you know? And, um, yeah. Um, 
I'm kind of curious. Uh, so I remember, I mean, you mentioned kind of not being kind of miserable during that time. I, I posted uh, an article a little while ago about my experience with depression and meditation. And you yeah. commented on it in a, in a way that, that gave me um, the impression that it was something that, that you related to. But you really didn't elaborate much on that. I mean, is, is that something yeah, you've had experiences yeah. too? Or? Oh, no doubt. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't want to comment on your post because I felt like it was a very personal post. And uh-huh. But I mean, other than to say, yeah, I get it. Like, yeah. oh, no doubt about it. You know, I mean, I've say very, very similar experience yeah. where, you know, I have I've tried just about every type of medication I can possibly get. I've, uh-huh. I've had positive and negative of response to speaking with professionals about it. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's great. Most of the time I find myself that I'm a phenomenal liar and I'll lie to whoever <laughs> <laughs> when I'm in that position, um, uh-huh. you know, talking to a psychiatrist or to anyone. I, I just, I have a hard time digging in and really finding, cause I just, I don't know. I don't value it for some strange, stupid ass reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I've gone through all that, like every piece of that, like, contemplating being done with everything all of those yeah. things yeah and i th- i think you know it's probably more common than than we ever realize that's so why i was so grateful for your piece because it just really made me you know it made me feel not quite so isolated in that secret that i've held forever that yeah there was a point where i was ready to do anything i had to to alleviate the pain yeah i was quite surprised by that was i mean it was i was meant to write something about trying to describe how transformative this experience was for me, but I had to, it was kind of like until I had that experience, I didn't realize how depressed I was, you know? (laughs) And so I had to go back and be like, okay, I have to explain like how depressed, how bad the depression was. But that, that was one thing that really struck me was it's how many people respond to that, that were just like, yeah, this is, it seems like a very universal experience that many, many people have, you know? Although I'm sure yeah. it manifests in, in lots of different ways. Um, and I, it was surprising to see you in particular comment because all my interactions with you, you've always been like so enthusiastic and warm and like generous and, you know, um, and also I see like you, you're always busy doing stuff. And for me, like when I have really low times, it's like, I'm just, I'm just clocking out. Like I'm not making stuff, you know? So, um, yeah. I mean, is there, how is that like for you, how does that like affect, affect you as an artist? Is there like a connection between, um, like your impulse to make art and, and however that depression might manifest for you? Oh, no doubt about it. Matter of fact, I, I've, I can make parallels in my life to when I was the most productive Mm -hmm. and all of those times were the lowest points in my life. Really? Oh yeah. And That's usually really what happens is I find that, that for me, art becomes a form of, of seeking validation. Hmm. Right. You know, I try to be the kind of guy that's like, Oh, I don't share stuff or whatever, but yeah, it's, every time I do it's cause I want somebody or a million somebody's to tell me I'm great. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know? I mean, that makes, that I makes total I, sense. I wish me. I could say, <laughs> right. I wish I could say I wasn't that, but that's, that's who I am. And, and so sometimes when I get real low, it's like, if I keep creating, if I keep getting better, if I keep, working on myself I will maybe that will help and and part of that is totally misdirected because there are other things I should be working on instead of you know this output obsession that I have because that's really what it is yeah it's not uncommon for me in those times to work 18 19 hours sleep for three or four work another 18 19 get my cycle completely (laughs) messed up and you know to a point where you know there has to be an intervention and luckily I have a wife that understands that and she'll you know, say like, whoa, 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 you know, <laughs> you got to stop. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it becomes habitual and it, it, there's a lot to that, you know? Yeah. That. I have, I have the kind of this theory about like the connection between like mood disorders and art that it's, it's like this, um, it's kind of this, this, what's the word to say it? It's this like trigger that allows humans to discover new things, you know? you basically have a, a certain segment of the population that's kind of just like dissatisfied with things, you know, which I think that's what motivates a lot of what I do is I look around and I'm, I, you know, growing up, I'm like, uh, there's something I've grown up in the suburbs. I'm like, there's something not right about this, you know, or whatever, whatever it is, like you go to school and you're like, there's something not right, right. about this, you know? And, 
or you, you see other art and other things and you're like, there's something not right about this. And you get your mind working. and you're like, okay, I want to, I want to make my version of, of, of this, you know, I want to, uh, create something new and something different. Um, and then, you know, enough people do that and suddenly have this big engine of, of artistic innovation. Um, but unfortunately for artists, it's, it, it's not a great experience to go through. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. such, I've never thought of it that way, but you're you're absolutely right. The thing to me that I've kind of thought in that same, it's in kind of in that same family is, it, it's back to that, gosh, I'm really struggling with the term of, of art a lot. It's something I need to define in the next little while because it's driving me nuts. But uh-huh. it, I've, the thing that's hard with me is there's such a difference between the creator and the receiver when it comes to art. Yeah. You know, of any form of art, you know, dance, theater, art, visual art, whatever. Yeah. Right? Because for the receiver, it's usually a benefit. Yeah. You know, that's why we like art. Like, you know, I love to look at your books because I feel they're, they're satisfying to me. Right. Like mm-hmm. I get something. I feel like I'm, I'm learning a little bit about who you, who, who you are in a lot of different ways. Right. Like yeah. all that kind of stuff. But I think for the general public, which, and by the way, the, the numbers are completely uh, out of balance. You know, it's like what one to a million, <laughs> one to a yeah. hundred thousand, one to ten thousand, maybe. You know, but they're pretty big numbers, right? The creator versus the receiver, and yeah, and the thing that's frustrating with me with this, this is the thing that I've always tried to figure out how to do because the concept of cost is is so different for a creator than it is for a, a consumer. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Right. Like, like cost to me, it's like, how much would it charge? How much would it cost for you to, for me to draw a portrait of your family in my style? Well, shit, I don't know. Like, (laughs) do I like you? Well, then it's probably pretty low. Yeah. Right. Or is this going to be an emotionally taxing thing for me? Well, I just Mm -hmm. won't do it. Like there is no limit for, for that kind of stuff. And I've, I've had those thoughts so many times. And when I talk about being profoundly unhappy at a place like EA, it's because of that. Like where I was forced constantly to give up that cost or to give a piece of myself yeah. doing stuff that maybe didn't align with what I want to do to a point where there were other areas of my life that were impacted. Sure. I honestly felt like I was going through some type of PTSD for probably five years after leaving the games industry. Oh, geez. Like I, dude, I, I, had, I, to, I, had, to, I had to recover too. I mean, honestly, that's like I left to, to make my book and I was in a, I was this yeah. very serious depression for quite a while after that i was really? like oh hey i'm I'm gonna get out here and like make my thing and i was like oh my gosh i just like can't even can't even put like pencil to paper um but i don't know i i don't know if you've had this experience yeah. i mean I, i'm guessing one of the things that can kind of happen though one of the kind of happy accidents about making art is i think you can start for some very um insecure reasons like i was thinking about this today like the whole reason I decided to become an artist was because, all right, I I wasn't, um, naturally athletic. I wasn't naturally good at schoolwork. Like my earliest memories were just like sucking at both those things. And it's like, there's this one thing I could do well. So I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything in my life having to do with academics. Cause I know I suck it at school. You know, I'm not going to be doing sports. I suck at that. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be an artist. Like I, I, I like, through exclusion, I decided like, and and then along the way, I'm like, oh, hey, you know, it's kind of fun too. This could be really awesome and I could do cool things. But at some point along the way, as I'm making art and trying to show off and get attention and just finding that to be completely dissatisfying, you know, I, I, I get, got to a point where it's like, okay, you know, fuck all that. What really matters to me, you know? And it's like that getting pushed to that limit. It's like you go to a place and it's like, all right, I want to tell a story that matters to me, that matters to me and is not trying to impress anyone else, you know? Um, And once I did that, it's like, okay, I could work on something and create something that was like for the first time in my life. And, and even though maybe I'm still depressed or whatever, I'm creating something that that's satisfying, you know? And it feels great to have other people like appreciate that, to have other people that you admire, look at that and say like, Oh, Hey, this is like, this is good. You know, like, I really like what you're doing here. Like that feels good. Um, so I don't know. I think, I guess what I'm trying to say that, that in this process of, of whatever drives us to art, it can, it can drive you to something that's, that's really good and healing and, and may actually, 
make life bearable, you know, <laughs> if you're, if you like search enough. Okay. What I was going to say is similar to that. And, and I had same, a very, very similar experience. And part of it is, you know, perspective, you know, you and I aren't just popping out of college. You know, we've been doing this for a little while and, and that would be a whole other topic by the way too. But, um, yeah, <laughs> being, oh, being young yeah. and being an artist versus being old and being an artist is, is remarkably different. Um, yeah. but here's, I'll, I'll quickly tell a story and then you can tell me to stop telling weird stories. But when, when I, <laughs> I decided I wanted to write while I was at EA and part of that mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, I, I had a very interesting relationship with my dad. I, I won't say it was good because that would be really unfair. Um, but I think we loved each other, but I don't think we liked each other, which is an interesting thing, mm. right? Like, sure. And, and I think that's pretty common. Like, that's not, I'm not unique there. I don't, and I don't hold any big scars because of that. Like, I'm not saying that. It's just, that's just the reality of our situation. And, you know, I, I had a hard time reading. I was same. I was terrible at school. Um, and I asked for help and didn't get it. And I think part of it was the time period and the small school district that I went to. Like, sure, you know, it was one of those. Did things. you grow up and, in Ephraim too? Yeah, moved here when okay. I was in the third grade. Um, so, so you grew yeah, up there. Kind of a, a, yeah, yeah. You know, it, my dad was a, a very good person and supported a lot of people, but mm-hmm. he didn't support me. Which I know that sounds weird, right? And he challenged me. He would be like, ah, I don't know if you should do that. You know, I wanted to be an artist. And he's like, ah, don't be an artist. You know, teach. <laughs> it's so much more predictable. You know, I mean, stuff like that. And part of that was just his own experience with trying to be a professional violinist. Right? It was painful for him. Mm. It just, yeah. He just never achieved that goal that he set. So this is a long way for me to say <laughs> it took me a long time to realize I was pursuing the wrong goal from art in general. And some of that came from trying to prove my dad that I could do it. You know, I know mm-hmm. that was a part of it. And, but probably a bigger part of it was that I set my goals based on a, uh, a social version of what su- a successful artist is. Um, mm-hmm. And for me at that point, it was getting a book published. That's all, that's yeah. as far as I went. Like I'm going to publish. And part of that was like, I struggled with this concept of object permanence and video games. When we make them, we spend, you know, obscene amount of time doing them and there's nothing left <laughs> a year after yeah. it's like they're invisible they never they never happened and so it some of it was that and yeah <laughs> um but probably the bigger part of it was like i just wanted to get published so when i did get an agent and we were shopping things around and we weren't able to sell the book that i had written that i was the most proud of still to this date it's the most in my opinion the best thing i've put on paper and we weren't able to sell it one day I was actually in the hospital when I emailed my agent and I just said, I'm tired of this. Like I'm tired of trying to sell something that's, you know, I I just want to get published. So let's do something like I've been, and I had drawn a couple of these little drawings of those microsaurs. That's another book Mm -hmm. product that I did. And I said, it's, it's honey. I shrunk the kids means Jurassic park. And she said, I can sell that today. (laughs) Right. That's a super marketable idea. And that's what it was for me. I was like, awesome, let's do it. So I spent, the next couple years of my life developing a story simply for the concept of selling it. And I think when you look at the sales of that book series, it shows, right? My Mm. heart's just not in it. It's not good. I mean, I can be objective about it and look at them and go, they're not good. (laughs) And I get that. And uh, (laughs) so what's changed with me and and it had to be me cutting a lot of ties, Mm. cut ties with my agent, um, you know, cut ties with, you know, with, with a lot of different things. And just said, I've got to get back to writing what is more meaningful to me and creating stuff that's meaningful yeah. to me. So same thing. And, you know, this this new project I have, even though it's kind of goofy and it's super marketable, is very <laughs> meaningful to me. Good. Right? The kid's dyslexic. I'm dyslexic. It goes through a lot of that whole thing of the invisible disabilities. And, uh, you know, it's, it's super meaningful. And then the next two projects that I'm doing are even more meaningful to me, Jeez. including the one that she, that she could never sell. And my other agent sold it in like a weekend. And I think it was all about timing. Yeah. Is that, is that Sherwood? And, I remember, I remember seeing the, you showed me the pitch to, to Sherwood a while. Yeah. Back. So um, Sherwood D- DC picked that one up and they just announced that a few days ago. Was that your original pitch that you were trying to get sell or was it another yeah. one? Okay. No, there was another one. I had one that I had written called Ad- 
I can talk about this, but I haven't announced it yet, so you can share it. It's no problem. Um, okay. I, I wrote a book called The Legend of Berg Vanig, and it's about a giant. Mm-hmm. He's the, the, the last giant, or mm-hmm. so he thinks, and he's persecuted from the from the uh, just because of the stories of the giants of the past. Even though he had nothing to do with them, he's just constantly living in the shadow of these other giants. Um, so that's kind of the the one I always wanted to tell. And there's no doubt. I know I, if my psychiatrist heard this, she'd be like, "Yep, that's you and your father. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's not very veiled, but yeah. it was an important book to me, and 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 it won't." It probably won't make money. That's fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like my, my goals have changed. Instead of a goal of being published or a goal of working in the games industry, my goals became more intrinsic and more centered and I'm, I'm happier. Um, yeah, that's good. I, I mean, I think, I think, I feel like I've been slowly following the same arc and maybe that is just, that is the matter of, of just being an older artist. I mean, maybe there's some, some wiser youngins that get to that quicker or, or maybe it is a matter of, you know, the third generation, you know, yeah, How did you say it before maybe. the the Yo-Yo Ma thing? It takes three generations yeah, it takes to make three an artist. Generations. Mm-hmm. It it's just might be just a delicate enough thing to do that it takes kind of that much experience passed on from one generation to the next till till people get like okay here's here's the dance here's the dance you need to walk here's how you navigate it but right. I think that's that's one thing that young artists um I don't I don't know if I would say that they miss it. Some do. I mean, some, some definitely know the story they want to tell, but, you know, telling, making art for the right reasons, um, that can be a hard thing to get to. But I felt like as soon as, as soon as I was making art for the right reasons that, um, selling it came, came much more easily. Um, uh, and part of that's just finding, finding that right place. Um, you you worked with Sam Nielsen, didn't you? Did you ever work uh-huh. with him? Yeah. Okay. S- Sam Nielsen has this really great thing that he says, talking about like uh, when he's encouraging young artists, and he has like his Venn diagram, where one half of the circle is like the stuff that you love, and the other half is like what's gonna sell, and finding that intersection, you know. Yeah. And I've thought a lot about that. It's a very kind of simple way of thinking of, about it, even though it's it's very accurate. Finding that intersection is is not simple. You know, you may think you're, you, you have found that intersection and it turns out that it's, it's an actually an intersection with what sells and your insecurities, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. (laughs) But finding that actual intersection of like this, this stuff that you can really do well, where there are people that it it speaks to, like that's the golden ticket as an artist is like finding that stuff. But it really starts with, with, you know, having the balls to be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to tell a story that matters to me, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. It does take balls to do that. Yeah. Well, it helps to have a, have a good agent too. If you can find someone that can be a, a champion for you, you know. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But, but imagine the advice you'll be able to give to gray. <laughs> right? yeah. No, seriously. Like if he chooses to be an artist, yeah. Like the advice you'll be able to give to your son after you've spent that time is invaluable. Mm-hmm. Like, He'll, he'll be able to learn more from watching you and from talking to you about subtle things than, than ever. And then someday he'll come up and say something to you and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I wish I could have had that complex of thought. Yeah. Like, you know, like once again, Tanner and I were just a couple of days ago, we were talking about, uh, well, we were, we were comparing two artists. We were comparing Nathan Fox. Are you familiar with his work? I, I'm not, no. He does a comic called Weatherman that you must see. Okay. I, actually, oh, I've heard about it. I've gosh. heard about Weatherman. The art is just phenomenal, and the writing's good too. And he mm-hmm. he didn't do the writing. The writing is really really good, but the art is just outstanding. Like his okay. understanding of, of perspective is is phenomenal. That's that's an image book, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we were talking about him and Scott Robertson. You know the, mm-hmm. you know famous industrial designer. You know. Okay. Kind of, oh yeah, yeah. That, that guy. I learned right? a ton we from talking, Scott Robertson. <laughs> Yeah, me too. He's phenomenal, right? And and I yeah. pushed those books in front of Tanner's nose, young, and said, you know, you got to learn this kind of stuff. And Tanner said, you know, you can go down the rabbit hole of learning how to draw like Scott Robertson. Mm. You know, and you can buy a, a a ten point, you know, what are those measuring devices called? <laughs> like the perspective ten point measuring device. Spend three hundred bucks oh, on sure. the right one, and yeah, you, know, you can do all those things, and you can become the perfect 
you can you can learn how to draw like Scott Robertson. But yeah. the question is why? Yeah. Like that that's a really really good question to ask is because you know when we're looking at we were studying Nathan Fox's work and looking at it and going you know you can see quite often when he switches from panel to panel from five point to back to two point perspective mm-hmm. it's a really common thing that he does and you're like yeah but it's it's not right like it's not perfect yeah you can recognize that he understands what he's doing but he's not drawing all those perspective lines he's just no. doing it you know and something it, it's one of those things like it was is really mind opening to me to go like yeah sometimes i pursue things just because i want the understanding of something yeah but i'll go too far down the rabbit hole to like I'm gonna I'm gonna nail this fundamental and and for what? Yeah, you know, I don't know. You know, I it's funny. I a while ago, I, just as a project, I, I wanted to study frames from uh, uh, Secret Life of Arietti. Have you seen that Ghibli film? Oh yeah, oh, one of my, my one of my favorite Ghibli. I mean, I yeah, love Miyazaki, me and that yeah. this one just like kicks the ass of of so many of Miyazaki's masterpieces. Such a beautiful film. One of the things I I love about it is just the change in in point of view from the little people to to the big world, you know? And so I was really fascinated about like, what, what, like, what are they doing here with perspective to, to get that change of scale? Like the change of scale was so fantastic. They just felt like totally different worlds and it has to do with like sound design and stuff too. Um, but anyway, so I took some frames and I was drawing over some some frames from Secret Life of Arietti to try to understand the perspective. And like nothing goes to vanishing points. Like it does it if, if Scott Robertson were to analyze it, it would be like, this makes no sense. There's no perspective here. Um, but it still works. I don't, and I don't know if that's a sense of, of them, you know, clearly, and I think Miyazaki actually did the storyboards for, for Secret Life of Arietti. Oh, really? Um, so there is this sense of, first of all, you don't need to be perfectly mathematical with that stuff, right? Like, yeah. and you don't need to go all the way down the rabbit hole. And if you can get something to feel right, then, then it is right, you know? Um, right. But, and you know, there's this idea of, of, of art, art being a tool and just understanding, okay, what's, what's, and I, I think it really helps to actually be kind of lazy. You can call it lazy or you can call it strategic as an artist to be like, what's the, what's the laziest way I can, I can, I can do what I want to do. You know, how can I accomplish what I want to do with, with the least amount of effort? Um, just because there's a cost to it, you know? Right. Especially with something the size of a graphic novel. Like you're, you're only going to finish what 20 of those in your life. If you start young, Jeez, if you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, you're right. I mean, <laughs> I, I think I'm going to start using strategic. I think that's a good way to put it because <laughs> I cheat. Yeah. Well, and I'm just, for me, I'm just, I, I'm, it's hard for me to get the motor started, you know? So it's just like, I'm like a, a shitty old car that's hard to get started. And if you, if you let the engine start, you have to go through the whole process. So it's like when I sit down to work, you know, I want to, I want to find a way to do things that's going to you know, not waste my time. But, you know, that being said, it's like being strategic in such a way I want to give a certain impression. And sometimes the minimum necessary force to give that impression is something that's, you know, extremely difficult to, to pull off, you know, so. Right. <clears throat> um, yeah. not, always, not always simple. So. No, I totally feel that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I'm kind of interested in, I, I think that question is great is uh, that Tanner asked of like, you're going to learn how to do that, but why? I mean, that's for, for any artist, any young artist, I think that's a great, just like, um, you know, personal kind of psychological, spiritual question to ask, you know, yeah. which it's easy to, to have quick answers. I'd be interested. What was, what was. What kind of conclusions did you guys come to when you had that discussion? I'd be interested in kind of what he was thinking as he kind of thought through that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I actually don't know if we ever came to a conclusion on it. Uh-huh. Other than the fact that I know it was a multiple hour conversation of, <laughs> I mean, it went, it went from that to like, uh, you know, both Tanner and I are, are kind of in a similar vein to you or we're questioning some spirituality and, and sure. stuff like that. So like that went to this whole thing of like, is religion and art, they have a lot involved, especially if you only follow one particular version of art. Like oh, if sure. I'm going to, I'm going to sit in the Scott Robertson camp and, you know, is that directive or is it 
proper. Like, you know, so, I mean, I, I think it kind of went to that point of like, maybe it is okay to be more broad and to be able to, you know, go after a lot of endeavors when it comes to, to visual understanding and like how to create visuals and, you know, and, and really the end of the why for me being mm-hmm. my age has been like, it's got to be satisfying. And, and I know that's such yeah. a, a broad category, like, but that's really what it is. Like if I don't enjoy it, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, yeah. That's, that's a really insightful, simple way to say it. Um, yeah. And for him, it was, I've got to get better, which I think, <laughs> I think that's the combination between old and young too. Yeah. I mean, that's at, at a certain point in your life that does, that is where the focus needs to be. You know, yeah, I think definitely. at a certain point, like an early on, it's, I think it's very important for a lot of things in life. You need to have a, a tunnel vision in a lot of ways. You have to be a laser gun and just be like <laughs> drilling. And I don't know when it happens, like when you really know the change has to happen, but at some point you have to stop shooting this super focused laser at the target and you have to like open up and be broader and say like, okay, what are the opportunities, you know, because that, that tunnel can be, it's, it's like very, very powerful, but it limits you, you know, and it helps you get to a certain point, but it's at a certain point, if you don't broaden and look to the periphery, you're going to miss the opportunities. You're going to miss some insight. Um, and I think that's kind of, as you get older, that's, that's the area you have to get into is to be like, okay, let's look at the Vista. Let's look at this Vista and look at the, the landscape around. Um, I don't know. That's kind of how I feel, where I feel I, I'm at lately, you know? Yeah. No, um, I really like that. Yeah. I, but I think in general, the thing that I'm, I'm really exploring a lot lately, which you, you kind of touched on is, is that, um, there's a spiritual aspect to making art. Like it's art is, is a spiritual practice, which is, is difficult. This, this is the problem is that here are people that want to dedicate their lives to it. It's the spiritual practice. And yet, we have to make a living, you know, and, and those two things, it's like oil and water, right? Yeah. Um, and I haven't figured out exactly what that means and what way is it a spiritual practice, especially as, as I've done more, um, dedicated, like contemplative practice, um, and seeing kind of the areas of the mind you can explore there, but then realizing like, Hey, something's, something's going on with art and imagination that, that there's an intersection oh, there with these, with these other things, you know? Yeah. I would, if we ever do another one of these, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's an area that is just endlessly fascinating to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because it's one of those things that I don't think you can have a understanding of that until you've kind of gone through some things in your life. Like mm-hmm. perspective plays such an important part of that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big concept. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a mind-blowing one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, maybe maybe we should leave it at that. That's probably maybe yeah. a good place to end. A lead in lead into a future one. It's that seems like uh, this is like a common common point we're getting to with a lot of these discussions I've been having. But dude, I think it's an interesting place to to look, and uh, there's a lot of I don't know a lot to explore. So. Um, but yeah, anything else you want to, you want to maybe talk about? I mean, I, if uh, you can maybe give a little more details on, on, uh, you know, the book release, uh, for those that are interested and, um, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, my one that it's today, the 28th is the actual official release. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's been a total nightmare. It's moved every day. Some people were Jeez. getting the books on like the 10th of April and it all had to do with shipping and getting books from China and you know it's it's just been a mess. But today is the actual release of my mm-hmm. book. It's called My Video Game Ate My Homework. Um, it's a project with DC which has been a blast cuz I'm such a big DC fan. I have been my entire <laughs> life. Um, and the best thing I will say about the project is that DC didn't just enable me to be creative. They mm-hmm. pushed me to a point where I got to do stuff that I've always wanted to do and didn't realize I was able to do it. Oh, so that's very cool. They were now. Is it is it canon? Partner. Is this part of the DC canon? The DC? Nope. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, and that was kind of part of it too. Is you yeah. know, it's one of those things where when I started, I'm like, oh my gosh, like 
from a writing perspective, like Neil Gaiman and Tom King and Alan Moore mm. and, you know, all these guys who've written for DC and like, I'm just me, like I can't handle this. And so I put tons of pressure. And then of course, on the visual side, I went through the same practice, right? Like, so it was nice to just kind of, they were patient with me and they trusted in me to, to build the right book. And, um, they, they've just been an incredible partner. So it's easy to find, you know, just search my video game, my homework in your preferred browser if you're a nice person you'll buy it from an indie bookstore and not that evil amazon company yeah um you know i i adore the king's english in utah that's a great place call them they'll make they'll ship it to you (laughs) oh that's cool that's a good idea yeah i haven't haven't gotten around to pre-ordering yet so i was thinking i was going to go through black cat even though i know the owner of black cat was was pretty frustrated with with something he's frustrated with dc for some reason having to do with how they're doing orders or something but oh really i don't know so maybe he'll have have an issue with ordering it and they'll have to go through king's english yeah they're a good they're a good alternative for sure yeah um but yeah support your local indie comic book shop and bookstore man that's that's where it's all about cool all right dustin well um it was awesome chatting with you i'm glad we could do this um for sure my my little admission is I'm I'm just like really shitty at, at like uh, connecting with people for no reason. So I have to I have to think of projects like this to give me an excuse <laughs> to do it. <laughs> I am as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that's that's kind of one of my my ulterior motives is you know I just want to connect with people that I think are interesting and I always you know always feels great chatting with you. So. Um, yeah, we'll have to do a round two and, and get a little bit deeper into some. Yeah, some stuff I would next love time. to talk about to that that creative space of where does art live within kind of the omniverse and you know how do some people are more in tune with art than others and like I, I would love to talk about that kind of stuff. It's fascinating. All right, awesome man. So great to have you. Yeah, thank you so much. You've been listening to How to Be an Artist. To support this podcast, you can go to Patreon.com forward slash H2BNA.